So let's jump into our next section of our church doctrinal statement. And I hope you guys are realizing that our doctrinal statement is not just the list of stuff we believe so that if you're going to join with us, you know what we believe. I mean, that, that's legitimate. But on the other hand, what's happening in our culture is making this vital, that we understand what we believe and why we believe it, that it is biblically based, that it is better than the way people live without God and even different than the way other people who call themselves Christians or from other denominations understand the word of God. It is clear what God says and how we should be living. So as a church, we've got to be very, very grounded in these things because we've got a lot more opportunities in our culture today in different conversations to say, yeah, yeah, actually our church just talked about that the other day and the Bible has answers for that. And man, the opportunities we have to get back to the gospel and to show people the, the greatness and the truth of God is exponentially growing if we are informed, educated, and willing to take those opportunities. So let's jump into section Q, family relationships, right after we quote together our theme verse, Psalm 119, verse 34, together out loud. Give me understanding, and I shall keep thy law. Yea, I shall observe it with my whole heart. Understanding is so important because then we'll be fully behind obedience. Not just because God says so, but because it actually makes sense to me too, fully behind it. So here's the section we're about to jump into, family relationships. Point one of two, we believe that men and women are spiritually equal in position before God but that God has ordained distinct and separate spiritual functions for men and women in the home and the church. The husband is to be the leader of the home, and men are to be the leaders, pastors, and deacons of the church. Accordingly, only men are eligible for licensure and ordination by the church. Point two, we believe that God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The wife is to submit herself to the spiritual, scriptural leadership of her husband as the church submits to the headship of Christ. Children are an heritage from the Lord. Parents are responsible for teaching their children appropriate discipline, including scriptural corporal correction. There's a lot in there, but I believe that as we move through this slowly, uh, that all of the principles that you just hear, uh, just heard, actually flow together. It, it's kind of a, an image of a factory, at least that, that's the way it works in my head, that you start with some raw materials, and with the proper process, you have an excellent product that goes out and is beneficial for society. In fact, what is being produced are the very building blocks of society. But you're not going to get a good product unless you begin with a proper process. All that machinery's got to be working and in proper order and function. So we're going to start in section one by understanding gender roles with, uh, excuse me, let me start over. Understanding gender roles will lay the path to successful function. So as we begin this evening, at the top of your 
page, it says, The Hand That Rocks a Cradle. This is a very famous poem, 1865, written by William Ross Wallace. Um, it's actually printed in the back of your sheet, in case you're poetic types. But this poem has some very particular wording that I want you to take notice of. Uh, the first part of the poem says, Blessings on the hand of women. Angels guard its strength and grace in the palace, cottage, hovel, oh, no matter where the place. Wood that never storms assailed it, rainbows ever gently curled. For the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Infancy's tender fountain, power may with beauty flow. Mothers first to guide the streamlets from the soul's unresting grow. Grow on for the good or evil. Sunshine streams or evil hurled for the hand that rocks the cradle is the hand that rules the world. Women, how divine your mission here upon our natal sod. Keep, oh keep the young heart open always to the breath of God. That's about half the poem, but I think you get the point. Some of the most powerful abilities human beings are given rest in the hand of parents because what you do within your home is literally shaping the world. Oh, that our society would get back to that kind of sober parenting. But even if a person gets really serious about wanting to parent correctly, you got to know how. Hence, you get the manual, right? I've got a, a friend who uh, now lives out in Colorado. Uh, he used to joke. Uh, I had his uh, son in youth group many, many years ago, and his joke was always, boy, it's in the father's manual. You got to do what you're told. And he would always pull out the father's manual, blah, blah, blah. And his kid grew up thinking that there actually was this manual that dad's got when you were born in the hospital. You know, you give the, the baby blanket, the little booties and the hat, and a book, and it tells you how to parent. Well, his son now has a couple kids of his own, and I'm sure TJ got a little surprised when he didn't get a manual in the delivery room, but praise God, we did actually get a manual. It's right here. Sadly, not everybody uses it anymore. But let's look at section one. Spiritually equal in position, distinct and separate spiritual functions. First, we need to look at understanding our gender roles. Now, we went over a, a chunk of this in the last couple lessons on sexuality and things like that, but now we're going to be, be getting a little more specific as far as roles in society, personally, within culture. Those things vary. Don't know how much each individual in here has traveled the world, but how men and women conduct themselves in the United States is a whole lot different than they do in the Middle East which is a whole lot different than Africa, which is a whole lot different than Northeast Asia, which is really different than, I mean, a lot of parts of the world. We are very different in how we conduct ourselves, inside and outside of marriage. But there are commonalities that God gives to every person found in Scripture. Nowadays, people say, well, you can't tell a culture how to live. That's their culture. They're doing it the right way. Well, not necessarily, because I don't care who you are or where you're from, if what you practice or the way you view things is different than the Bible, your culture's wrong. Man, you can't say a culture. Yeah, a culture's wrong. 
United States culture is wrong in a lot of ways. You know, African culture is wrong in a lot of ways. Asian culture, whatever. This is why God has to give us some kind of consistent standard. Otherwise, we're just going to go by our culture and continue to do stupid stuff. So we're going to look at this. God says in his word that we are spiritually equal in position. We are distinct and separate in our spiritual functions. So your first paragraph under section one says, gender equality and celebrate diversity are often phrases heard in our modern society. Well, such concepts could even have some benefit if they were joined with understanding. Sadly, many have forgotten the beautiful, functional, and necessary differences that exist between men and women. Until there is a fundamental recognition of God's design for gender roles, our society will continue to struggle in our marriages, in our families, and in our cultural development. Folks, we've got to get back to the basics of what God says. Our society, at least in the United States, for sure, is walking away from it, and we're seeing the repercussions. We need to get back. So let's look up Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. We don't have the verses up on the screen tonight, but I trust you guys brought your Bibles. We'll work them in here, get our bindings nice and loose. So point number one, men and women are equal, okay? But we need to talk about that just a little bit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says, And God said, Let us make man in our image. A little commercial there for the, uh, the interesting nature of God. Let us make man in our image. So, yes, he is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. You see evidence of that right there in verse 26. After our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and in the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. So it doesn't matter whether it is male, it doesn't matter female, both are made in the image of God and therefore completely equal in certain respects, in the most important respects. So if you've got a male chauvinist, guy's wrong. If you've got some liberal-minded feminist, she's wrong. If they're off on one gender being more equal or uh, more valuable or more important or better than another. Bible doesn't teach that, okay? So if anybody starts to attack Christianity as being old and male-centric and domineering and toxically masculine and all that stuff, no, 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 no. Chapter one, of the Bible, God says men and women are, are equal in value, okay? So you can stop that pretty quickly. Also, it tells us in Genesis, uh, excuse me, Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, run over to the New Testament. Thankfully, God is very consistent in what he says from beginning to end. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28 tells us, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither bond nor free, there is neither male nor female, for ye are all one in Christ Jesus. There is equality in the eyes of God with men and women. So here are your blanks, and these are important. 
Equality does not mean that a man and a woman should have the same positions, roles, or abilities. Equality means that they have the same value in the eyes of God. Maybe you already picked up on that. Equality means that they will each have to make the same level of personal investment to create a successful marriage. Equality means that they, have, they each have the same level of importance regarding the care and development of their children. So equality for some people is just this mindset of if a man can be a fireman, a woman can be a fireman. Well, I, I suppose, but they're not going to be able to have the same abilities. Yes, they can. Girls can do everything boys can do. I mean, you remember hearing stuff like that in grade school, right? And then people that had that mindset in high school said, oh yeah, prove it. And then people get themselves in trouble. So just because you are equal in value, investment, and importance doesn't mean you have the same roles or abilities. That's where our current society is getting goofed up in their thinking. They're not able to sit down and reason through things logically or reasonably. That's a serious problem. That's why partly our society is just going downhill so quickly. But here's a a key word that we're going to hear over and over throughout this lesson, and it's your last blank on page 73. Equality has more to do with responsibility than it does ability. Hopefully that'll set in just a little bit more. Because we're of equal value, we have a lot of responsibilities together, but not the same abilities. We're different. But that's okay. In fact, that's, that's kind of a good thing. So as you turn your page to uh, the next here, let's jump back in our Bibles to Genesis chapter 2.18. Genesis 2.18 through 25. Beautifully poetic, but full of truth. Genesis 2.18, and the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him and help me for him. And out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And God gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from the man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. There is always a purpose in what God does and in how God does it and when God does it. And the fact that God created a man, showed him every creature on the planet, and, and basically proves a point. Adam, you're still not complete. Nothing else that I've created completes you. So go to sleep for a couple minutes. I'm not done. And when Adam wakes up, there is Eve. And he says, she's just like me. 
and Adam knows completion. God did that in a beautiful and specific way. But Adam also understood that she and I are not exactly the same. We are of the same flesh. We are one. We are equal. But there's some differences on that one than there are on this one. And that's kind of obvious. Diversity. Men and women are unique. Diversity is beautiful and necessary for efficiency. Ignorance has poisoned our understanding of gender roles and therefore our ability to function effectively within important relationships. So the more we say, oh, oh, we're all the same. No, men and women are not the same. Come on. Just because we have somebody trying to get on the Supreme Court that can't define a woman, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not taking that bait. I can think a little for myself. God's pretty clear with me. The world's pretty obvious. God has created men and women with different physical, mental, and emotional makeups. This diversity enables the challenges of life and family to be met and overcome. Such design reveals that God wants a husband and a wife to cooperate and depend on each other's unique abilities. Here's your next blank. Disregarding gender differences will lead to frustrated relationships and results. If you treat each other as if you are the same in role and ability as a couple, you're going to start to get really frustrated. If you're expecting the same things, guys, if you expect your wife to think the way you think, you're going to get disappointed pretty quickly. Ladies, if you're expecting your husbands to have the same feelings about certain topics and situations that you have, you're going to get really frustrated with that bonehead of a guy that you married because we're different, we're unique, but we need those differences in order to function better as a team. So if you disregard those differences, you're going to end up a very frustrated couple, very frustrated. This is one of those... uh, This is one of those things younger couples have to learn when they're going through the cutesy little honeymoon phase where everything's butterflies and roses. And then one morning she wakes up and realizes this guy's gross sometimes. And this guy wakes up and realizes she doesn't always look dolled up. Wow. And you know what? Each other's bathroom habits. Whoa, I had no idea. And like, how in the world do you use money like that? That doesn't make sense to me. And then you view spare time differently. And all the myriad of differences to a young couple can get a little scary once they get through the honeymoon phase. I, I think, honestly, that's why a lot of us as older couples, in a well-meaning way, will go up to a brand new, newly married couple and say, enjoy the honeymoon phase because eventually it's going to be over. You know, that's like a bucket of cold water for a lot of young couples. But you and I both know that day's going to be over soon, and then you got to continue. But you have to recognize your differences. And instead of getting frustrated with your differences, you've got to be thankful and use these differences to your advantage. So disregarding them, you're in trouble. Opposite, here's your next blank. Appreciating these differences will lead to better communication, deeper joy, and overall success. But folks, human nature makes that really hard sometimes, doesn't it? 
You get really frustrated with somebody who's different than you. But God designed them to be different. It's a good thing. It's up to us to look at it properly. So <laughs> let's, uh, let's enjoy ourselves just a little bit here. Let's look at some generalized differences between men and women. And I very much want you to focus on the word generalized because this will not be 100% true of every single man and woman, okay? But as a whole, on the general, this is usually true. Uh, what I would recommend for you, three books. Uh, the first one, Love and Respect by Dr. Emerson Egrich. Is, um, this is mandatory reading for any young couple that I do marital counseling for before I will perform their wedding. They have to read this book. We go through it together because what you learn in this book is vital. It's taking the passages of Scripture and laying them open and say, here's how you follow this stuff. Here's what a guy is expecting and what a guy needs. Here's what the wife is expecting and here's what she needs. You need to understand those differences instead of uh, stepping on each other's air hose, as he says, that when a guy's not getting the respect he deserves, he's not very loving toward his wife. And the wife, when she's not feeling very loved by her husband, stops respecting him, and they just sit in that cycle of, well, I'll respect you when you start loving me. Like, well, I'll start loving you when you start respecting me. And they just sit in that crazy cycle. Anybody been there? You don't have to raise your hand, okay? Another book, The Five Love Languages. Uh, I know the New Testament tells husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge. It doesn't say dwell with them according to understanding. Because I don't know how well a man's going to understand his wife, but you can, uh, you can know certain principles about her. Like you can go through those five love languages of how we like to show or receive affection through one, words of affirmation, encouragement. Number two, spending quality time. Number three, giving gifts. Number four, acts of service. Or number five, physical touch. We all like to receive love in certain ways, and we more easily show love in certain ways. A little free marital counseling for you. Guys, you may be loving her the best that you know how, but that's not the way she picks up on it because she's got a different love language. For my wife, I've got to spend time with her. The easiest way I show love is by serving. I'll take out the trash. I'll paint rooms. I'll, I'll keep the yard nice. I'll help with the laundry and the dishes. And she's like, yeah, thanks. Are you serious? I just spent my whole weekend doing this stuff? And you're like, yeah, thanks. But the fact that I set a book down and I just sat with her and we talked for a while, man, she lights up because I dropped what I wanted to do to spend time with her. Whoa, that doesn't even make sense to me. Yeah, okay, it's not just because I'm a guy, it's because that's not my love language. So I had to read a book and ask her some dumb questions, say, of the list of these five, which do you like the most? And she told me. And I'm like, wow, how did I not see that? Well, it's because I'm a dumb guy. That's why. Okay? Folks, read this book. You're not just going to learn a lot about your spouse. You're going to learn a lot about yourself. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. This is an old, old book, but really entertaining. I got to tell you, because it gives a lot of the differences. Uh, we're going to go through a bunch of these. But let me throw out this caveat, please. 
These first two books, I highly recommend. I've read them from cover to cover. They're also by good, solid Christian people. So the philosophies, the perspectives are very biblical. The last book, not so much. Okay, This is a secular author, does not have God in the picture, but a lot of his observations are on point. But you have to be careful. Uh, I was <laughs> suggested a book when Liz and I were going through our own marital counseling before we got married. Uh, it's a Christian author, a uh, book's called His Needs, Her Needs. Terrible book. It was horrible. I'm serious. The whole book's premise was as long as you do for her the stuff she wants, you get brownie points. And if you do something dumb, as long as you don't run out of brownie points, you'll be fine. And as long as she's doing the brownie points for you, you'll be happy. So just keep each other's love bank full with enough credit and your marriage will be smooth. That is dumb, okay? Yeah, you should try to meet your spouse's needs, but it's not about a race of credit. At the bottom of that, that's selfishness. As long as I do this stuff for you, I'm going to get back what I want. That's what that is. I read my Bible, and it's all about sacrifice no matter what you get back. See, that's godly kind of love. Marriage isn't a 50-50 contract. It's a 100%, 100% promise regardless, for better or for worse, till death do you part. See, even some of these books, even though they have good points in them, you still have to be very careful and discerning because down at the bottom of it, they could be giving you terrible advice. So men are from Mars, women are from Venus. Take away from it what you can but be very, very careful with whatever you read. So let's jump through some of this. Let's, let's just do a, a cursory run. Differences between men and women, how we resolve our problems. Women face challenges socially. Men face challenges individually. So a lady is more likely to call up her friends with a problem and they're going to talk about it versus guys are going to go sit in the garage and th- do some hard thinking. Okay? So women generally talk as they reason. Men generally talk after they reason. Now, again, there's going to be some differences there. Uh, with you personally, you may be like, no, I'm the opposite. Eh, that's fine. But do you see now why there's a lot of conflict? Because a woman with her natural tendencies, if there's a problem with her husband, she's going to be after him. Let's talk, let's talk, let's talk. And the husband's like, no, let me sit and think by myself. She's doing what she's naturally prone to do. He's doing what he's naturally prone to do, which is opposite. So if you don't understand those differences, there's going to be conflict. So uh, a wise couple will learn how to talk and then wait and then talk again so that each of the spouses with their natural tendencies can go through things how they naturally do. Not understanding this stuff has led to so much conflict in our world and in my life until I finally got a little smarter, did things a little more differently. Communication style. (laughs) Women speak and listen and think in pink. Men speak and listen and think in blue. The goal is to get some purple in there. But how in the world do you do that? Women use four to 6,000 words a day. Men, you're lucky if you get 2,000 out of them, okay? Oh, sorry. Yeah, 
I get going, I forgot. Here's your next one. Women communicate feelings. Men communicate information. That's kind of hard to get over. Talking with a bunch of guys, I'm like, give me information. I really don't care how you feel about it. But women are a little more concerned with, well, well, how did that make you feel? I don't care about how I feel. Let's just handle the problem. I feel mad that the car's not working, but let's find out what the problem is. You know, totally different here. But you'll generally hear that even with how men or women will phrase things. She's going to say, how do you feel about it? And a guy's going to say, well, what do you think about it? That's typically how we phrase things. Women want to be heard. Men want to... No, there shouldn't be three blanks for be left alone. That's, that's not what we're getting at. Women want to be heard. Men want to problem solve. Oh, the day that I finally learned this. That when Liz comes to me and she's talking, 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 talking about a situation, I just learned to shut up and look at her. And then when she's done, say, do you want a solution or do you just want me to listen? Changed my life. Literally. I just want you to listen. Okay. I don't even have to worry about it. I'm just like, just go ahead. Just talk. Fantastic. I'll listen. I don't even have to think. I just look at her. It's great. Um, <laughs> that's a lot of my life. I just look at her and not think. Uh, but guys generally want to problem solve. So ladies, when you're talking to your husband and they want to jump in there, well, that's easy. Just tell them to buzz off. That's not what they want to hear. They just want to be heard. So learn to ask, do you want me to listen or do you want a solution? You have to be that blunt with the guys, okay? Because we don't get it. Ladies, that'll help both of us out. Women want to nurture. Men want to protect and provide. Those are different jobs. Women most desire love. Men most desire respect. This is something that really surprises people. All right, everybody in here, if you only got one of these things, from your spouse, which one would you pick? Love, to be loved by them, or to be respected by them? That makes you think, well, well, I want both. Of course you want both. But if you only got one, which would it be? Typically, guys would rather be respected. You may love me and disrespect me, that's not going to fly. And the way we communicate and act toward each other communicates disrespect. And if she's looking at, at this man that she married and say, you know what, you're not being very respectful, but as long as I know you love me, we can get through this. But sometimes the way he's doing things and saying things, he's not communicating love, and the whole thing is melting down. So just realizing our main core desires is pretty helpful. Physical makeup. Do we really need a list of what makes men and women physically different? I don't think we do. Okay, we're all adults in here. If you have any wonderings about that, go back to our last three lessons about sexuality. And I think that should probably cover it for you. Oh, that our government would realize this. Uh, I had a guy that lived in my neighborhood uh, a couple of years ago. Uh, he was former Marine and was doing contracting work for him, doing a lot of studies and, uh, and things like this. This is real big when one of the previous administrations wanted to get women into the infantry. 
And he was involved in some of those studies. And he and I got talking one day. He's like, Ryan, you wouldn't believe what's happening to these ladies. We're throwing 80-pound rucksacks on them and doing all the same stuff that the guys do. And literally, their hips are getting destroyed. We've had ladies that the ball socket of their hip snapped off because they're not physically built to handle the same kind of physical workloads that our male soldiers are. Some of these women aren't going to be able to have kids someday or it's going to be really dangerous for them to do so because of what's physically happening to them under the physical duress. He's like, men and women are different. It's like, why does our government need to study this? And he went on about a whole bunch of other factors involved in having women on the battlefield, how it totally messes up a man's ability to fight and focus. He's like... I can't believe we're actually studying this, but the, the, the information, the results are so obvious. You'd almost think that it was going to agree with the last, eh, I don't know, 6,000 years of human history where men went off to war and women stayed home. I don't know. Maybe we had it right for a long time. We're physically different. On and on goes the list of differences. How we handle stress, totally different. How each views sex, very different. How each views and handles finances, very different. Uh, I, was doing, I think it was in one of those two books I, I recommended. Women tend to view finances as a pool of water. Oh no, it's going down. But guys are like, eh, don't worry about it. Finances are more like a river. This stuff's coming in and going out, but more is coming in and going out. You know, I got a paycheck. It'll be okay. But she's seeing a drop, and he's seeing a flow. So how we view finance, so many other things, very, very different. We have to recognize our differences, but then appreciate the fact that we are different. And as long as we're able to communicate, we both have unique abilities that make the team stronger. That is a maturing process, to be sure. Now, everything we've talked about under the, the generalized differences, anybody can, can benefit from, inside, outside of church, Christian, non-Christian, okay? I was listening to a, a Muslim guy this last week on YouTube explain some of these differences to the brothers and the sisters. I'm like, okay, this is just common male-female interaction and differences. Recognize that these differences excuse me, recognize these differences, but do not forget about our individual sin nature. <laughs> if it wasn't hard enough to understand the differences between men and women and then learn to communicate between men and women, we're sinners on top of it. And that's making this, progress, or this process even more difficult. Ladies, guys, we can learn to communicate but maybe your spouse is just being prideful. Or maybe you're just getting frustrated. Or maybe this, or maybe that. You could know all this stuff, and sin's going to make it so much harder, which is why we need to be walking with Christ. Whew. Page 75. Let's transition a little bit. We've talked about the, the differences between men and women. These gender roles become more specified within a marriage relationship. So, yeah, men and women are different. We communicate, look at things differently, feel different, think different, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. But now when you step into a marriage specifically, 
your particular roles are going to get more specified. So it's not like we're going to learn some things that women need to learn to submit and support every single male that they come across. Nope. Men need to lovingly lead and and sacrifice for every single woman they come across. No, not the same way you do for your spouse. Okay? So we are becoming more and more specific, although some of these character traits should be shown just in general respect for everybody you're around. We're talking about marriage here very particularly. Marriage, stronger than being alone. Genesis 2.18, again, we look back at our passage. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'll make him and help meet for him. So this is remembering that caveat of weeks before talking about singlehood, okay? There is a gift of singlehood for some people. This is not poo-pooing on that, all right? That is a, a wonderful thing. Let, but we're, we do need to specifically talk about the fact that for those of us who are designed by God to be married, we are stronger as a couple than we will ever be alone on our own. This is God's design, his general design for people. Let's jump over to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5. Fantastic passage. Very, very crucial for every Christian couple to understand this. In fact, secular couples would do good to understand this as well. This passage, verses 21 down to 29 specifically, lay out the most foundational of marital responsibilities. Here's your next blank. A wife will support her husband best as she submissively respects him. A husband will lead best as he lovingly sacrifices for his wife's growth and care. This is the absolutely crucial foundational responsibility for a man and a woman who are married. You can't get around this. If you do not do these things, you are weak and dysfunctional and you will never meet your full potential. In fact, you're probably going to be pretty miserable in the process. Okay? This is incredibly important and it flies in the face of a lot of modern cultures. Don't care whether your culture agrees or disagrees. This is truth. This is the, what God has designed us to do. But even in this, there is a lot of uniqueness. That as long as the man is leading spiritually and sacrificing to make sure his wife grows, and as long as that wife is supporting his lead and respecting him and being submissive in that, their dynamics, their personality, their personal situation can be very, very different. There are some guys that are type A and strong leaders and have the meek, quiet, little, stay-at-home wife. There are some women who are type A, and their husbands take the back seat and barely say anything. Both of them can be very successful, godly couples, as long as these foundational pieces are happening. So to expect every single one of us to be the exact same makeup is really unrealistic. And frankly, it gets kind of boring. When all of us are really, really different, it's a lot more exciting and a lot more fun in life. Dynamics are are fantastic. But at the bottom of it all, we've got to get these things. 
Now let me ask you something real difficult. As a couple, have you ever asked your spouse to give you a grade in the areas of your responsibilities? And if you did, would you be able to humbly accept that honesty and then grow from it? See, those are, those are two different things. To have enough honesty to say, give me a grade, how am I doing? Am I leading in a way that, that you can tell I'm sacrificing for your growth? Do you feel that I am? I know what I feel, but do you feel that I am? Guys, could, could you take that honesty if your wife was allowed to be honest? And vice versa. Ladies, to ask your husband, do you consider me submissive and supportive to your lead? If not, I want you to tell me. And you can't cry if he's honest and says no. Okay, that's like the worst thing ever. Folks, this is not easy stuff because you have to be completely honest and be willing to take some ugly truth. But frankly, that's what it's going to take if we're going to grow. Common reasons for marital conflict. Well, <laughs> how much time do you have? Well, let's boil it down to some basic ones. Unrealistic or unmet expectations. There are whole books written about marital expectations. And it's really smart for young couples to read through some of these books. Because I want you to think back on your marriage. If you did some thinking tonight and you looked back and said, man, what were some of the expectations I had when we first got married that I had to change in my expectations? It was not the way I thought it was going to be. You know, you've learned some things. You, ho- hopefully, hopefully you've learned some things. You've become more realistic with financial uses, how you guys use time, physical attention, career directions, children. Sometimes our expectations aren't very realistic. Or sometimes when they are unmet, it's just almost a deal breaker for us. Stuff like this really surprises me. But uh, I ran into uh, a young guy who was selling cars in Martinsburg. Uh, he used to work for the Toyota dealership up there. As back in the days where dealerships had so much money that they'd send you a, a flyer in the mail, say, come test drive a car and we'll give you a $25, $30 gift card, whatever. Man, I'd scoop those things up. That was great because I'm not going to buy a car from you, but I will take your gift card. So I'd go test drive cars just to, for a fun thing to do. Say, thanks for the money, see ya. But while I'm test driving this car... I got some salesman stuck in here. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. So we get talking and things, and I, I had this one young guy. Uh, I was driving a little orange Prius, driving it through Martinsburg. And so I was like, so, man, tell me how things are going. And he's like, well, just getting, going through a divorce. I said, how old are you? He's like 23, 24. I said, you're kidding. He's like, yeah, we made it about a year, but... I just found out we're just going in different directions. You know, her career wants to go one way. I want kids, stuff like that. And in my little pea brain, I'm like, did you not talk about that before you got married, Hoss? You want kids? You not want kids. You want a career that's going to take you this way and I'm going this Hello? But sometimes people have this expectation, but they don't communicate that. And it becomes a deal breaker for them. Uh, that's that's just a shame, and it's immature, but that's something we've got to get through. 
Sometimes a marital conflict comes because of efforts to manipulate or change your spouse. And when we're really honest, yeah, that, that stuff happens. You don't like what your spouse is doing, so instead of just being honest, you do something manipulative or you try to change that person. Good luck. You know, people don't change because of that. They just get miserable while you try to change them. It doesn't work. Uh, just go read in the Old Testament and Judges about Samson and all of his womanly relationships. Man, he had some manipulative women, and his life, his life was just miserable. But that's mostly his fault, in all honesty. Marital conflict often comes because of operating outside of one's designed role. We're seeing this happen more because people don't understand their role. So there's like this power struggle with who's going to lead. Well, God designed that the man ought to be leading, but she's trying to lead. And maybe it's because he's not taking the lead. So it's making a void, so somebody's got to fill it, and she's ticked off with him for not leading. Folks, that happens a lot nowadays, which is why God gives us these mandates Men, lead by sacrificially loving your wife. But if you don't lead, it's going to cause a lot of problems. And if she's not willing to follow that lead, it's going to cause a lot of problems. But this isn't from any book that I've read. Your last two blanks are this. The two biggest relationship killers that I have personally seen, and I've seen it way too much, Selfishness and unforgiveness. That has killed more marriages than I care to recognize. Folks, this is serious. Whenever I find a couple that's been married for over 50 years and I have any amount of respect for them, I try to find them and say, hey, could each of you give me a piece of advice for a young couple? What have you learned in the last 50 years of marriage that can help somebody younger? And usually, the husband's and the wife's advice are going to be different. The best advice I got was from Russ and Emma Fink. Russ said, marriage isn't 50-50. It's 100-100. And that had to take a while to set in. Because it sounds really cool. But it, it usually takes me a couple of years before something gets through this thick skull. You know what Emma said? She said, learn to forgive. She was a quiet lady. Russ was a talker, and he was bold, and he'd tell you exactly what he thought, and she'd just sit there all quiet. But behind closed doors, you know what she learned? She learned she had to forgive. And that is the wedge that destroys most marriages and sends them to divorce court. Somebody keeps doing something stupid, and somebody stops forgiving. And that wedge goes deeper and deeper and deeper until they split Folks, if you want to resolve marital conflict, take a look at your own life and say, where am I struggling with my selfishness? Where am I not forgiving? And right there, you're going to be on the path to healing. Now, God's going to have to work on your spouse. You can't make them, you know, go back to the manipulation thing, you can't make them change, but you can handle you. This is imperative. So we've got about five minutes left. Let's go uh, on to section uh, bottom 75 here, the leader. Genesis chapter 3, verse 16. 
Uh, we can get there quickly. It's in the beginning. Genesis 3.16 points out something oddly specific. When Adam and Eve fell, ate of the fruit, God was handing out punishments. Here's what Genesis 3.16 says. Unto the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow shalt thou bring forth children, which many of you ladies that have had kids know exactly what that's talking about. But the verse continues, And thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. I thought that's kind of an interesting statement. And he shall rule over you. But the more you think about it, before the fall, before there was a sin nature, Adam and Eve, as a couple, were in 100% unity and harmony at all times. They didn't need somebody to lead. Or, if Adam was leading, it was such a natural, a natural process that it, it wasn't even recognized, I wonder. Did they need somebody to be a leader when there wasn't a sin factor? See, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to stick that in any doctrinal statement, but it really makes you think. Sin makes leadership necessary because we have a sin nature, because we want to go in different directions. So let's get our next blank. Leadership is necessary for a home or any group endeavor to function, let alone succeed. Leadership directs the group so that each member doesn't end up working against each other with different goals. And boy, does that happen a lot in marriages and families. Leading mandates that somebody takes ultimate, there's that word again, responsibility. And the others have to willingly follow. That word responsibility keeps popping up over and over again. But that's the way, I mean, life's full of responsibility. Colossians 3, verse 18 tells us, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as is fit in the Lord. So he's commanded the lead, which means you need to be willing to follow. Now, praise the Lord if you've got a man that wants to follow God. It's going to make that following process so much easier. But that's one of the things I keep harping on my daughter about. So you're getting to be close in the next 15, 20 years to dating period of your life. And you need to be looking at these guys and say, is this somebody I could marry? Is this somebody whose lead I can follow because he wants to follow God? It's not just does he have a job, not just does he have good hygiene, uh, not just does he treat you well. Where is he going in life? Because as a married couple, you're going to be following him. Is he not going places you want to go? Is he not seeking the Lord with his whole heart? Because if he's not, even if he's a Christian or not, who cares? He needs to be following the Lord. Because you're going to have to follow him as he follows whatever it is he's after. Now, leadership will never meet its full potential without a strong support system. A leader does not depend, excuse me, a leader that does not depend on his support system weakens himself, his team, and endangers their success. 
Leadership must trust and delegate to his team's individual strengths. Husbands, do you trust your wives? How do you know? What are you trusting her with? That's the question. Because it's really easy to say, yeah, I trust my wife. Okay. So what are you sitting in her hands that's valuable and you're not micromanaging it? There are many a guy that will not let their wife have the checkbook because they want control over it. That comes down to a trust issue. Oh, no, it's not a trust issue. It's an ability issue. Okay, well, that's for you to handle, okay? There are many guys that cannot sleep when their wife is driving. Man, I'm out in a second. If I'm not driving, I'm sleeping. Yeah, I'm not just like living a fatalistic life. Ah, if I die, I die. No, I trust her. She's a good driver, okay? She drives my kids around. You know, if I didn't trust her, I'd be paranoid every time she took out the driveway with the kids in the car. Do we trust our wives? Well, prove it. What are you trusting her with? Male leadership is a clear and adamant design of God. We see that in 1 Timothy 2, 12 through 13. If a man's unable to lead properly in his home, he's disqualified from servant leadership roles within the church, as specifically stated in 1 Timothy 2, 4 through 5 and 12. A lack of male leadership leaves a void that causes harm to the entire family. This is something Pastor Duncan and I talk about quite often, and we'll close with this. Our nation needs strong male leadership once again. We've got it in places, but not as many places as we need. We're seeing a serious breakdown of godly leadership, and that comes back to male leadership in key places. It doesn't take you a whole lot of work to start looking up stats about fatherless homes. 2021, U.S. Census Bureau revealed that 18.4 million kids live in a fatherless household. Households without fathers are four times more likely to live below the poverty line. That makes sense, just on a financial basis. Approximately 7 million biological dads are absentee dads to all of their children. That's pathetic. Children of fatherless households are two times more likely to drop out of school, two times as likely to commit suicide, and are way more likely to commit crime. In fact, infant mortality rates are twice as high in fatherless households. You could look at demographics of the fatherless nature in the black community, Hispanic community, and the white community, in the American Indian community. No wonder we've got the problems in our societies that we do. Families are breaking down at astounding rates. We're going to go into that in the next page. What does it look like when you don't have a marriage that's sound? What kind of kids are produced? What kind of society is produced off of those kids? It all makes a lot of sense. But you've got to back up and say, why do we have the problems we do? We don't understand our roles as men and women. And when you don't understand your role as a man or a woman and you jump into a marriage, it's going to be nothing but conflict. God gives us the answers we need. So folks, this isn't just a doctrinal statement of what we think 
a family is. This is a recipe for success. And praise God for those of us who have found these principles to be true and we've used them. God, help us to continue to grow in them. But we also need to be able to help the next generation. If we can't articulate these points, can we really be upset with the next generation when they don't do these things? We didn't tell them. They're having to find out on their own. That is a rough process. Lord, help us to do more for the next generation than we were given. We've been given a lot, but we need to give a lot as well. So let's have a word of prayer, and we'll close up tonight. Lord, I thank you. We need this kind of instruction. Father, these, these relationships are so vital. Marriages, families, God, such joy in our lives when these things are going well, but such pain when they're not. But God, you tell us what to do. Help us to submit to your way of doing things. Father, may we give you praise and glory when people notice that our lives and our marriages are different, our families are different. God, may you be praised and and draw more hearts and souls and minds to you through our example. God, help us. Even as, as we correct the ship, may that bring glory to you as well. God, thank you again for all that you give us. In the name of Christ, amen.